Better Call Saul season one is over, but we're just getting started here on Better Call Saul Live, the post-show recap. Now here are the two guys who are about to have the best week ever. I'm Ross Estrino. Here's Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio. Best week ever. I feel like, Rob, we, I'm, are we allowed to say that? Is that copyrighted? <laughs> it wasn't when Marco said it. Polo. Oh, boy. Every Marco time you say Marco. is no mo. No mo, Marco. Well, at least it ends in a no. Yes. So very sad. And boy, uh, we have Better Call Saul season one. We're going to break down everything from tonight, where we left off. Where do we think it's going on the night? I can't believe these 10 weeks flew by like that, Antonio. They really did, Rob. It seems like only yesterday we were laughing at a talking toilet. Yes. I mean, that was a while back, too. And that was a, that was a while back. It seems like only yesterday we were listening to the sounds of legs breaking in the desert. Yeah. So, yeah, it was all it all started way back when we first found out about Slippin' Jimmy. And really, this season one was the season of Slippin' Jimmy. Yeah, it's almost like they they just decided we're just going to we're going to give you this full season of real Saul Goodman backstory world, real Jimmy McGill backstory before we really get into the deep into the world that you know well from the show. We're going to tell you all about the guy that was the guy. I mean, it, it's almost like this season, Rob, like it's almost like they just said, you know what, if we only have one season to make, we'll make a self-contained season so that you could see where it goes from here to get you to Breaking Bad, so that you could have all these elements in the mix and you could see the things that that lead to Jimmy McGill. But really, I mean, there's not too many open ends leading, leading into season two. We're going to start anew uh, when we get to season two. Yeah. It was almost like season one. Forget the Saul Goodman origin story. This was the Jimmy McGill origin story. Right. Right. And then once we now we now who we know Jimmy now that we know who Jimmy McGill is, we'll see Jimmy McGill become Saul Goodman. All right. So we're going to talk about everything. We're going to take your questions as well here live on Monday night, April 6th. And we've got the chat room going on post show recaps. We'll take your tweets with the hashtag PS recaps. And then also on our YouTube channel at postshowrecaps.com slash YouTube. Uh, Antonio, were you surprised that this finale ended up spending so much time back in Chicago? I was surprised. Even though I love different venues and I think that uh, Bob Odenkirk has those connections to Wisconsin and Illinois in that area. And so he knows a lot about it. And I think that you can't really have Bob Odenkirk being so Bob Odenkirk without those connections. I was very surprised. I, I felt like we had done so much storytelling in the area of New Mexico and specifically with HHM and Chuck uh, to have so little of it in the finale felt, uh, felt a little off-putting to me. Were you surprised we spent that much time away? Yeah, I really was. And I don't want to say that I didn't enjoy it, but for the end of the first season, I was... So a little disappointed that, you know, we got way more Marco than Mike in the finale. Yeah, exactly. I mean, way, way more. I thought for a moment that we were not going to get any Mike in the finale. Yeah. And I thought, wait a minute now, like this, this can't happen. Like we have to have something. I mean, and we didn't get much to be fair. And we got Mike taking a call about another job, uh, but that was really about it. And, and, and talking to Jimmy just a little bit about the money. Um, but yeah, I thought we were going to go Mikeless in the finale and not that I didn't enjoy Marco and the slipping of slipping Jimmy, but, uh, but yeah, I was like, wait a minute, why are we out of this world so much? Uh, because I think we'd all enjoyed being in it so much. So it was a little off putting. It was not what I expected out of a finale episode, but like you said, not like I didn't enjoy it. I, I enjoyed the episode. There were some funny parts. Uh, the, the montages were great. I really liked seeing the Ocean's Eleven style kind of 
rundown of all the cons they were running mm-hmm. in that short week. I mean, where is this bar in Cicero, by the way, that these it's, these people are just wandering in off the street, ready to be conned? I don't know. Stay away from wherever that is. Yeah, and nobody ever comes back either. Right, right. No one ever <laughs> comes back. I don't know exactly what's going on in this place, but uh, I guess props to them. He was running the Nigerian Prince scheme in he person. He started it. Yeah, he started it. Yeah, I mean, good, good for Jimmy, I guess. Yeah, he started it. So again, it was all that stuff was very fun and very well executed. But on a night when it felt like it was going to be a special episode of the show, I, I don't know. I I am feeling a, a little bit left wanting, you know, something bigger than what we ultimately got. Yeah, a lot of shows do this, uh, and different shows have different varying levels of success with it where they have the penultimate episode actually be the episode where lots of things happen. Josh Wiggler and I are talking about Justified on post-show recaps right now, and we've got two episodes left. So tomorrow night's episode may be the episode where everything goes down. The Wire was famous for this as well. Uh, The second-to-last episodes of their seasons uh, often had that. Sopranos has done it. Other, Other series have done it because then you spend the last episode with kind of the fallout. But this was not even really too specifically with the fallout. There was a little bit of that, but it was more about slipping Jimmy going back to his roots, kind of getting something out of his system, as I think what Kim put it. And I think that's accurate. Um, and maybe seeing the life he could have lived if he'd have stayed there uh, and continued to do what he was doing. What do we take away from where Jimmy has this offer to go and work at the other law firm and be a partner there? And he ends up getting up to it. It looks like he notices the ring from Marco and then turns around and leaves. So what did you take away? What was the significance of that? I don't know about the significance of the ring. I mean, clearly that ring is a totem uh, that represents this connection that he had to Marco. And I think if you're, if you're eagle-eyed enough and you go back and look at pictures or stills of Saul Goodman from Breaking Bad, he is wearing that pinky ring. So this is sort of a, a manifestation of his life, his former life with Marco, of the way he used to be. The things, the voices inside him that he shouted down, as we saw repeatedly throughout this first season. And I think that uh, as we see what he says to Mike, which is, I know why I didn't take the money and I'm not going to ever, I'm not going to ever do it for that reason ever again. I think we see that maybe he's going to listen to some of those voices that he's been shouting down a little bit more. Uh, And that maybe as Saul Goodman, he's going to kind of take the, take advantage of situations and maybe as a lawyer, be a little crooked. He's not going to be the kind of corporate guy that's going to go to a law firm and try to get on a partner track. He is going to be the kind of guy that has that that totem that links him to a life that will make him a lot more crooked. So I think really that's what it's supposed to be. Whether he realizes it or not through the ring, I definitely think that's what that ring is supposed to represent. It's the slipping Jimmy uh, precious. It reminds him to be slipping Jimmy <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. times. Yes, a little bit. Maybe he just needs to go and throw it into a volcano, and that's the only way he can he can get his way out of this. Perhaps I don't know. I majored uh, in college in volcanoes. I, did, I heard about that, Rob. I heard you volcanoes. I heard you majored in volcanoes. Yes. So, all right. So, the, so was season one all about leading up to Jimmy getting the ring, so that he was a honest lawyer all through season one, and this was his journey to realize. Hey, I should be a bad lawyer. Yeah, whether the ring or not, I think season one was about him trying to do it Chuck's way. The way that Chuck wanted him to do. Uh, be honest. Don't be the guy who Chicago sunroofs all over the place. And, uh, and you know, all over the place. I mean, just that's the sort of thing you don't want to do at all. But anywhere right. is a bad deal. 
uh, except for maybe in a talking toilet. But uh, but yeah, it's it's try try to do it Chuck's way. Try to do it straight and, and up and upright and honest. And you know the ironic thing about that is the reason that Chuck's upset with him is no matter how honest or straight or narrow Jimmy tried to be, Chuck always looked at him as slipping Jimmy, as a chimp with a machine gun, uh, as the kind of guy who didn't respect the law and would take shortcuts. And so I think Jimmy, throughout the course of the season, having tried to do it Chuck's way and have only to have Chuck push him away so vehemently, I think Jimmy said, I'm done with trying to do it your way. I'm done with trying to do it straight and narrow, and I'm going to do it my way. And my way is the slipping Jimmy way. My way is the way with the ring. I can do both. I can be a lawyer, but also be a little slipping Jimmy. And that's what I'm really going to focus on after, after I've kind of taken this all in and thought about it. Yeah, it's almost as if that Jimmy really did feel like he owed his life to Chuck. And then through all of this, it's basically like when Chuck didn't want him to be in the partner, it's like Chuck rejected Jimmy. It was almost like Chuck said to Jimmy, I release you from that obligation. Not in so many words. And he was free to go back to being slipping Jimmy. Yes, I agree. I think there was some, uh, some importance therefore in the cold open, uh, in the cold open. We saw, of course, tonight, uh, another flashback to kind of after the Chicago sunroof incident where Chuck has gotten Jimmy kind of out of the situation and Jimmy's gone back in the bar to talk to Marco. Uh, Jimmy's saying to Marco, like, I need to change. I want to change. This isn't just Chuck. This is something I want to do. Uh, and, and, you know, my Mike is or uh, Marco is really kind of pushing him. And he says, it's like Miles Davis giving up the trumpet. Uh, and, and Jimmy says, I don't really understand that, but you know, this is this is Jimmy making an affirmative choice at the beginning of this episode to try to be different and to really want to change. And at the end of the day, I think through all the time he spent in Albuquerque, when he realized that pursuing that desire and really wanting to change got him nowhere with the person who was he was closest to his brother. There's no point in doing it. Why change if you can if you try to change and people still think you are who you are at your core? So I, I do think that there was an important scene there in the cold open to show that Jimmy wanted to do it. Uh, but now at the end of the day, there's no real reason for doing it. I want to talk about what I thought was the best scene of the night and may, maybe the best scene of the series uh, so far Ooh, was right. Jimmy at the bingo hall. Yes, I, I agree with that. I mean, it's sort of like a, the, the most darkly comic kind of Bob Odenkirk doing stand up almost kind of moment. Uh, in the series and yet it really was it just got darker and darker and darker as it went along how about all those bees rob do we have what were some of those bees um well a couple of them uh was uh brother and sort of the common words but the one i thought that was really of note was belize belize that was a good one he said beautiful place in belize yes he said we're none of us are ever going to go there but uh do you remember breaking yeah, do you remember breaking? It sounds like you do. Going to Belize was what Saul suggests. Saul Goodman suggested uh, as a way to get rid of Hank in Breaking Bad. Why don't you take him to Belize? Uh, nice little metaphor there. So Jimmy's had Belize on the mind for a while, but uh, yeah, I really did like I did like the Belize callback. There, they closed a lot of loops in this episode, uh, and they it's almost like even though I know this isn't true, it's almost like they didn't know they were getting a second season because they paid off the Kevin Costner thing. They paid off a nice reference to the Belize thing. Uh, they closed the loop on the Chicago sunroof so that they introduced something a few episodes ago and they, they told you what it was in that scene. So they were really, they were not leaving anything on the table here. Yeah. 
And so he ends up going into that whole story about the Chicago sunroof. Was the Chicago sunroof, was that a, what we expected? I can't remember. I don't know if anybody in the chat room uh, remembers exactly what we speculated about the Chicago sunroof, but I feel like that was close to what was on Urban Dictionary or yeah. uh, available on the internet at the time. So yeah, I think we might have thought maybe the sunroof part of it may be a metaphor also. And in this case, it was quite literal. Literal sunroof, yes. A literal sunroof. I don't, I don't understand why. So, I mean, I, I guess I just... In Chicago, maybe if your sunroof's open, you're just opening. You're risking. You're, you're asking risking for it. You're asking. You're for really it. asking for it. It's like a like a like a talking toilet almost. Yes. Um. Also, we found out tonight, and I don't believe we knew this before. Jimmy was married. Yeah, he mentioned on. He's mentioned before uh, in the in the context of the canon of this show that he's had more than one ex-wife actually, but we found out now that one of them predates the uh, Jimmy McGill and Albuquerque era. Uh, so that he actually probably was married while he was in Cicero at one point. So I don't know. Do you what? What do you think the odds are that we're going to get any more Cicero flashbacks in the show? Oh, I think that's it. I mean, um, I'm not sure why we would go back there, but um, you know, I I would. I'm not going to bet. You know, a John F. Kennedy a uh, half dollar or anything like that. That well, we which won't. way is he facing on that? Is he is, is yes. he yeah. facing east or west? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't. I it just. I feel like the cold open structure on this show was sort of unique, uh, especially when compared to Breaking Bad, where the cold opens were kind of all over the place. And this one, they all. I mean, they all seem to be time shifted, except I think last episodes. Uh, one was, of course, in the future uh, of the context of the show, and the rest of them were all various uh, levels of flashback. And so if the show continues with that flashback structure where we learn a little bit more about Jimmy's past, uh, as we're seeing kind of some element of those things playing out in the future, whether it's seeing Chuck come to Jimmy's rescue uh, in prison, and then we're learning more about the Jimmy and Chuck relationship in Albuquerque. Maybe as Jimmy gets into a relationship uh, with someone in Albuquerque in the, the main storyline, if that's going to happen, maybe we're going to see flashbacks of his previous relationship in Cicero and maybe more opportunities to see people like Marco. It just seems like it could happen. Can I just go back to the bingo scene for one moment that uh, my favorite part of that was just how like everybody was hanging on his every word just because he hadn't announced what the number was that he had. <laughs> yes. So it's like, and nobody cared about his story, but everybody's like, well, like what, what's the number? What is it? What is it? Uh, but I'm surprised like security didn't come over and uh, take the microphone away from him. Yeah, because he was really going off the rails there. Uh, at one point, he calls Albuquerque a godforsaken wasteland. He starts talking about walking around in the desert, getting melanoma. Uh, he really just size is, of a pineapple. It, yes, exactly. He's really just bringing a damper. This is not the the way bingo should go. Uh, and then he tosses that old guy the ball at one point. And I thought the guy was going to shout out what number it was. I thought that would have been uh, pretty funny because that's what everyone was expecting. But I think well, by that point. Everyone's breath was just gone. Yeah, that's a significant advantage, uh, Antonio, in bingo to you want to know what the numbers are and not have the other people know. So that guy was a very smart bingo strategist. Are you a big bingo player, Rob? No, I'm not a big bingo player, but um, I think the rules are pretty straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> but if you could bend the rules, if you could uh, somebody if you could get a, a Bill Belichick like advantage, what you would like to do 
is sort of like bring like a, like a stereo and like put it behind you so other people around you can't hear the numbers as they're being called uh, or potentially see the board. If you could somehow like, you know, obfuscate those two things, then that would be a big advantage for you because you'd be getting the new numbers and other people, they might have bingo, but it'd be too late. That sounds like an Atlanta Falcons type advantage, pumping a noise. I like that. Yeah, pumping the crowd noise. I was thinking maybe like a small, like a camp, like maybe an Apple Watch. I'm not, I'm not shilling for Apple here, but you've got a smartphone at your table there, and you've got some kind of tiny little camera positioned right where the ball comes up, and you see it a half second before everybody else because uh, you've got a video link established. I mean, this is the smartphone era. There's a lot in this show tonight where if there were smartphones, it wouldn't have happened. The whole. Kennedy scam. This is a, this is a, yeah. if there's a smartphone thing. This is not happening. Jimmy so. makes the right move to go into lawyering and not it, it, like he Marco and Jimmy both got out of the slipping Jimmy game at the right time. I agree completely. The I advent mean, of the smartphone really kills the slipping Jimmy game. It really does. Almost all aspects of it uh, are kind of out the window. But yeah, uh, bingo. I mean, I've played bingo. I love bingo. You get the you get the little old ladies with their trolls or their good luck charms. Uh, I've played, uh, you know, Kino's not as fun. I like the bingo experience. Uh, the bingo halls can be pretty smoky here in my home state of Kentucky, though, Rob. I got to tell you, it's I kind of imagine. a rough racket. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of a rough racket to hang out at the bingo hall too much. But I've spent many a night in the bingo hall. It's a, it's an honest way to spend your time. Wow. Yeah, it's a good time. All right. Let's talk about Marco. Oh, people love me, Rob. I, I like Saul. <laughs> um, all right. Let's talk about Marco and his passing. Uh, when Marco coughs... Is that Chekhov's cough for you? Do you know Marco's not making it out of the episode? I thought so. Didn't you? Yeah, I think. And, I, you know, not the first time he coughed, but the in the alley, once he coughs before Jimmy comes, like, oh, he's going to be he's going to be dead by the time Jimmy gets there. Yeah, when he's coughing and only the audience is seeing it, I feel like that's a major deal. And it's like, oh, we're supposed to know that he's continuing to cough and that one's not happening in Jimmy's presence. And there's only like 20 minutes left in this episode. So that that cough is going to mean something. And sure enough, it did. Yeah, it definitely is that, did. Is that a symptom of a heart attack, a, a cough? You know what? That I don't know. Because I need something else to freak out about at night. So if I get a coughing fit, I'm going to be really worried next time. It's a good question. Yeah, <laughs> I really need to have more anxiety before I go to bed. So that uh, would help. Hamlin uh, makes an appearance in this episode. And... Thing. It seemed like Hamlin had like a face turn, Antonio. He really did, didn't he? I mean, and it was a full on face turn. It went from Lord Vader to, uh, I don't know, Anakin Skywalker. Like exactly. I don't I don't know. Like it was a real big turn there. And are, are you on board with Howard the face? Mm, I don't know if I'm buying it. You're not buying it. Oh, so I mean, you you think that it, he's kind of just uh, like uh, he's two faced. I think potentially, I mean, he seems like he was sort of a, you know, a slimy guy all through the season just because, oh, I always liked you, Jimmy. I, I don't know if I can buy that yet. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, he did call him Charlie Hustle, referenced to my uh, Cincinnati Reds, Pete Rose. One Soon of to my be reinstated. Yes, I, I'm, I'm banging the drum for that one. I'm hoping that that'll work out. But uh but yeah, it. Uh, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like Howard. I mean, I kind of feel like Howard. As we talked about last episode, there's no question that Howard has been carrying water for Chuck for the entirety of, of that kind of negative relationship. The question is, how much did Howard enjoy doing it? 
And I do think that there's some aspect of Howard that did enjoy doing it. His go-to response to Kim in that office when she's pushing him about Jimmy is to be really, really uh, rude and curt to her. Not Kurt Clark, by the way. Right. Uh, and 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 yet he does have this kind of moment where he's like, please uh, come back. I got to explain this to you. And he asked her to shut the door. So maybe he's not that bad of a guy under the surface. He just looks like one. He does. He does. He's got sort of the uh, bad guy look. And we also had Kim in this episode who we saw a, a couple times. And she is saying that she didn't have much to do with uh, this other job coming up. Do you buy that? That it was just Jimmy's reputation with the senior citizens that got him this position? No, I mean, I think that there was some combination about the, of that. She said Howard was really pushing for it too. I have no reason to believe that that wasn't the case. I think there might've been some guilt on Kim's part uh, because Jimmy has, has definitely stuck his neck out for her and kept her in good graces at HHM as we remember with the Kettleman's. So it is very possible that uh, that she felt the need to kind of repay that favor and and to stick her neck out. But I believe her when she says that the senior citizens are really all about the Jimmy McGill. I, I have no doubt that that's true. Uh, although <laughs> I got to say the bingo incident, uh, I'm not sure that that played too well with those yeah. seniors, but that was that was only one place. Uh, I don't think that was that sandpiper because I don't think they'd let him back in to call the bingo game in the middle of that lawsuit injunction or no. I think they can stop him from calling the bingo game at the very least. So that may have been at another nursing home, but uh, still and still all, I think that it's uh, it's definitely believable that the old people were talking about Jimmy. I mean, look, Jimmy McGill is, and I think that Howard maybe accurately articulates this. He has a lot of strengths as a lawyer that could be that could be really valuable. He does work really hard. He is really thoughtful. Um, he's creative. He's a lot of things that Chuck probably uh, envies, and that may be why Chuck is a little jealous of him. Okay, let's uh, go through a couple other quick things from the episode, and then I want to uh, speculate a little bit on season two. Okay, let's do it. Okay. Uh, what were some of your other uh, favorite moments from tonight, Antonio? Well, I, I, I really did like the Ocean's Eleven style montage. Yes, of all it was the very fun. That they were running. I thought that that was really funny. Um, and then right after that, of course, the callback to... Um, Breaking Bad season three, uh, when Jimmy tells, when Saul tells Walt, like, I, I once convinced a woman that I was Kevin Costner because I believed it. You know, you, you can make any, you can do anything if you believe in it. Uh, we get the, we got this to see the Kevin Costner storyline. I really like that. I thought that was a nice comic beat there, especially with the manager moment where the, the other waitress is like, who's this guy? Well, he's not Kevin Costner's manager. And she said, are you sure he's not some kind of manager? And she was kind of waving on the way out. So she had more of a fun time with it than the lady that Jimmy put on. I, I really liked that. Are, are you um, leaving out uh, if I, <laughs> if I build, if you build it? Yeah, I, I am leaving that out. You enjoyed that? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I thought that was, I just thought that was pretty good. I mean, it was a sad kind of existence, but I, you know, it, there was a lot of, there was a lot of life in that. And I think that Marco kind of articulated that standpipes are not enough for him. I, I did you know what a standpipe was Rob? No, I didn't. Is there any connection or was it a, just a total coincidence that the case was sandpiper? What a Jimmy was working on. And the thing that Marco was involved in was standpipe. Um, is that can't be a coincidence, right? Uh, maybe not. Maybe there was like a, a typo in, yeah, in the script. Well, especially considering <laughs> that, you know, Marco, one of the final things he says to Jimmy is, you know, 
standpipes just aren't doing it for me. Uh, yeah. And this is an episode where Saul could have spent, you know, years working on this sandpiper case uh, and, you know, representing the old people. And he walks away from that. Right. There, there has yeah. to be something there. I mean, I think that it, I think that it's there at least at least in a subtle way, like you're pointing out, which I think is a really great observation. And I think that that's a valid connection. It's standpipes aren't doing it for Marco. Sandpiper wouldn't do it for for Jimmy. And Jimmy needs a little bit more more skin in the game. He needs a little bit more action. And yeah, uh, working with uh, this other firm uh, might be a way for Jimmy to stick it to Chuck. Uh, but that's not really what he's about. Uh, he's really, I think he's going to be about like being himself, which means, yeah, I can be creative. I can be clever. I can be articulate. I can be charming. I can be all the things that I would have been successful in elder law doing. Uh, but I can also not really have many scruples uh, and that can really make me Saul Goodman. And so I think that that's kind of the the, the pinky ring connection. It's like Sandpiper wouldn't do it for me. Like I, I need to focus on being me and being me means wearing this pinky ring around and having a little bit of Marco with me at all times. All right. So let's pick this up a year from now, next February. Better call Saul season two, Antonio. What, what are we following there? I think we're just seeing kind of a repilot uh, ultimately. Like I do think that we're we're seeing what what a lot of shows do, which is you sort of you have a a, a show or a season that's almost self-contained where a lot of the storylines are are kind of uh, wrapped up and you begin anew, uh, knowing a little bit more about your characters and and certainly trading on a lot of that backstory, but not with any cliffhanger from the previous season like Lost season 1 uh, and not with any sort of real um, like uh, stakes progress, like at the end of Breaking Bad uh, season three, uh, I think that you you end with uh, with knowing that Jimmy McGill is that much closer to really being Saul Goodman, and that whatever turn of the screw was needed to get him from Jimmy McGill to Saul Goodman has probably turned, and I think we'll now see how that plays out in his practice. Uh, and the same goes for Mike. I think now Mike is taking uh, the sort of protection or. Uh, muscle gigs on the regular and i think we're going to see exactly how that plays out we already have people like nacho in the story uh, and i do think they're going to become bigger parts of the story so the pieces are in place and i think we're just going to see them begin to come together are you surprised there's not really a cliffhanger between season one and season two i am a little surprised i am a little breaking surprised. bad always had cliffhangers yes and i also think that this is a show that you know is going to pick up legs as it as between the seasons, like I think most shows do nowadays that, that are well-liked and that are, that are watched. And this one's going to go up online somewhere, probably Netflix, uh, before season two airs. And I, I got to think that you want something at the end of the season to really drive viewership to the premiere of the next season. Uh, and if the next season's going to be a repilot, yeah, the people who liked and enjoyed the show are going to watch it again. Uh, but there isn't going to be this real feeling of need uh, to watch the show immediately when it comes out, which is, of course, what they want. And it's what we want here on Post Show Recap. So I don't know. I'm, I'm a little surprised. Weren't you a little bit surprised? I, I was, again, I thought this was a great episode. But as the finale, I do feel like I was a little bit left wanting more. Like, I really, you know, this, was, this would have been a fine, regular episode of Better Call Saul during the season. Would have been a great episode. And, and it still is a, uh, a great episode. But I think I might have had some 
unfair expectations going into the finale. Yeah, and and I think some of that is probably based on Breaking Bad. I I think I had some of the same expectations. If you look back or listen back to some of the stuff we've talked about throughout the season, I think we thought something big could happen. Chuck could get committed. We could see Chuck in in the hey, hospital. Marco or, died. Yeah, Marco did die. A character we had seen <laughs> for three minutes on the show before had, did die. Uh, so that was, I guess, something big. Uh, Marco uh, did happen. Uh, died. So I, I mean, that is all true, uh, but. You're not having your your season four ending of Breaking Bad moment. You're not having uh, the Breaking Bad season five A ending moment. Like there aren't these things that I think we're used to from Vince Gilligan. So, like I said, it's it's weird because I know they knew that they were getting a second season, but it is really like they wrote a self-contained season of this prequel uh, in which we saw kind of a beginning, a middle, and an end uh, to the the Jimmy the Jimmy McGill story in Albuquerque, and the end is. Um, he's ready to not be the guy who's trying to be good anymore. And it took a full season to get there. And now in season two, we're really going to see how that plays out. And I don't think anybody really necessarily expected that when they started the show because of what we knew about Saul Goodman. We knew he was a dirty guy, kind of a scummy, like a criminal, criminal lawyer. Uh, and to see him not be that uh, is good. But it, it did just it was a full self-contained season to get him there. So I agree with you. I didn't. I thought it was a good episode, but not the finale I was expecting. But you know, uh, it will. We'll see where they kick off season two. I guess the polo episode, the beginning of season two, uh, the answer to Marco will be very interesting to to watch. Gotta have Mike on the screen for more than one minute. I there's no doubt. Uh, there's no doubt, and he can't be doing a crossword when he does show up. Like this is especially where where we've seen from Mike. Uh, throughout this and how it's kind of built and the great scene we had la uh, last episode uh, in the in both in the parking garage and with price uh, in the the kind of vacant uh, industrial yard there and the drug deal you can't just have mike basically saying i only did the job i did because that was what i was hired to do that's why i didn't take the money it doesn't go beyond there that's great like it's great that we have that but you got to have more than that I, I don't care if mike shows up in chicago uh, to pull Jimmy McGill back by the scruff of his neck. I want more Mike on the screen. Yeah, got to get more Mike in there. Hopefully season two is going to be where really Jimmy and Mike start working together. I felt like season one, the journey was. And again, this is what I was hoping for. It doesn't mean that it was what it had to be. But you would think that you would get Jimmy and Mike really crossing paths more than just at the toll booth. Yeah, I I, I completely agree. And I mean, they had the we, one scene with spilling the coffee. And a couple other things here and there, but all in all, they really don't have a working relationship right now. No, but I think it is important that Jimmy knows that Mike is the kind of guy that will work for money, that he'll do the job uh, that he's hired to do. And, and that's, he can be trusted in that regard, that he has a code, that he has some ethics, that he is also the kind of guy that will get his hands dirty and he'll rob $1.6 million or he'll kind of do, and I, I guess we'll find out <laughs> And that's what Jimmy kind of in season two will be doing is testing the limits of what Mike will and won't do uh, and what Jimmy wants him to do. So it's a valuable guy to know uh, at this point for Jimmy. But yeah, I, I would have expected more between the two of them. Uh, I don't know. Did you like uh, did you like my, uh, Jimmy's relationship with Marco? Uh, is that something you, you do? You, I don't see Jimmy being that fraternal with Mike. I see Jim, Mike being more of an employee boss relationship with with Jimmy. Yeah, it was such a bromance between Jimmy and Marco. It really was. And I just, I don't see that happening between Jimmy and Mike. I think it will be more employer employee, which is fine. 
but I just I I think it would be hard to kind of put those two guys in any uh, different kind of role. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and take some questions here uh, from the listeners of Better Call Saul Live. And uh, here we go. Let's start off with uh, Jessica. Jessica Batras says, Aw, it seemed like the season flew by. I am so going to miss Jimmy. Can't wait for Saul to emerge. Such a great episode. Can't wait for your thoughts, Robin Antonio. You guys rock. Oh, some uh, th- th- some uh, kneecap uh, sucking to get us started, Antonio. Yeah, well, thank you, Jessica. You we love it. Well. Yeah, we love, we love it. it. We're always down for the, the KSing, so we're good for that. But uh yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think that that's exactly what we're, what we're kind of hitting on. That, that, that really is, is season flew by, uh, and it flew by because it just, there doesn't seem to be much outstanding. Like we, what, what we're, there's nothing we're really expecting that we didn't per se get. So here we are. Here we are. Okay, uh, let's go to our next question, and uh, this is from Buddha Ben. What does Buddha Ben have to say? Buddha Ben says. What type of role do you think Tuco will play in season two? At the beginning of Breaking Bad, he's in jail with Skinny Pete. Oh, hmm. Um, I really hadn't been thinking about uh, what role Tuco is playing in season two. Um, do you feel like he's in line for a bigger uh, storyline? I think that the, I think we're going to get into that world via via Nacho, and I'm fine with that. I I've really liked the Nacho that we got this season. I like that. Tuco is great. Incredibly memorable character from Breaking Bad. Those of you who have seen Breaking Bad, when he popped up on the screen, you probably cheered and gasped a little bit like we all did. But uh, but he's sort of one note and one dimensional. And that's fine because that one note is amazing and hilarious. But Nacho seems to be a, a lot more multi-layered. He's, he seems to be kind of quiet uh, and he's kind of practiced and reasoned. He sort of bowed a little bit to Tuco and, and, and kind of really praised him and got a little bit out of him, but he was also able to talk him down and control him in ways that we haven't seen other people be able to do. So I think Nacho is a much more deep and interesting character. And I say, I think we're going to see more from Nacho into that world. That doesn't mean Tuco won't pop up from time to time. It's again, that thing where we know Tuco is not going to be dead or in, you know, in any kind of situation by the time breaking bad starts, but because we do know he's going to have some legal troubles at some point, uh, maybe it's possible that we're going to see more of them. And again, we can't forget Tuco has some pretty important family members. Yes, he does. Yeah. So we'd love to see those guys again. All right. Johnny DeSavera says, I didn't realize Chuck was a hashtag lawyer diva. Do you have demands for your services, Antonio? I, I have very little demands. I do expect there to be freshly chilled orange juice, freshly squeezed a chilled orange juice, I should say. Uh, when I walk into work in the morning, um, I expect a foot massage at three in the afternoon. Oh, uh, wow. if it doesn't happen if it doesn't happen right at three in the afternoon, I, I get very upset uh, and that, that can cause a problem. I'm not a diva though. I mean, it's these are pretty normal demands, aren't they? I think so. Um, especially if uh, on the celebrity apprentice. Yeah, well, I, that I'm not aware of. Is there a foot massage thing or an orange juice thing? Uh, they, they do some foot massages, but it's not very huh. it's not classy. Well, you know, I, you have to keep it classy. You have to keep it classy. If you're not keeping it classy with the FMs, then forget it. I, 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 I'm ready to move on to the next question. Let's <laughs> get a little awkward All right. about my personal life. Are you uh, ready? Yes. This one's from Katie D, uh, a.k.a. Muffin That Sucks on Twitter. Katie asks, is the fever, is the fever living the con life, uh, not the straight life? If so, I wish we'd gotten a peek at Jimmy uh, to Saul transition. So, 
I guess, um, you know, are you, is it, is it better to live the con life and not the straight life? Is that where we really want? Is that what we really want to see? Um, you know, I think that, you know, there's certainly easier to sleep at night living the straight life. I think that's probably one of the added benefits. You know, it goes back to, you know, the, uh, light side of the force, dark side of the force. Yeah. I mean, and, and the thing is there's, uh, I think there's two sides to that in every person, right? Like I think that I think everybody has some some lighter moments and some darker moments and we have those voices, the classic cartoon angel and devil or whatever we choose to pay attention to. Uh and and I think that Jimmy McGill or Saul Goodman, I think as we saw throughout this season, he's an interesting character when he's shouting down uh the angry voice or the the dark voice. Uh but he's also a really interesting and fun character when he's listening to that voice. And so I, I don't know exactly which the better voice is for Jimmy McGill. Uh, we just saw a full season of him trying to listen to his, uh, to the, you know, his demons being shouted down by his better angels. But uh, it, I should look for me in that kind of manic car drive at the end of the episode that he's ready to start listening to those demons a little bit more. And where does he go? What does he do? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's smoke on the water and fire in the sky, Rob. You go wherever you can. Well, what's the significance of smoke on the water? It was uh, sung and hummed a number of different times tonight. Well, I mean, I don't know if there's a, a huge significance to it. I, it's, uh, it, it's definitely one of the most memorable kind of guitar riffs at all time. It's so memorable that I think people have ripped it off. I mean, that's a, it's a deep purple song. Ted Nugent made his career on making songs that sounded like it. So. Um, good on Ted Nugent, I guess, but uh, I don't know. I, I I don't know exactly what the history of it uh, is or or what the connection is, but I it's uh it's something that I think we could we could really think about uh, throughout the the course of the off season here because it's clearly a very affirmative choice, right? Like there's a reason they pick this particular song. Yeah, uh, I think that's something that we will uh, look into. Um, Deep Purple is it color theory? Is Marie oh, in the mix? It's, it's finally back. We got Deep Purple, and it is Marie. Uh, no, I don't know exactly what. Uh, yeah, I could be. Could be a little. Could be a little color theory. There was also uh, one of my favorites uh, songs by a, a folk singer from England. Or I think he's from Ireland. Called uh, his name's Donovan. Uh, covering one of his songs called "Season of the Witch." That was the song that was playing uh, when Jimmy kind of first walked into uh, the bar there in Chicago. I think it was like, hey. Do you want to know where Jimmy is? We're going to play some like real heavy blues music. And then we're going to show you an Illinois license plate. If you haven't figured it out by then, we're really sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I love season of the witch popping up on, uh, on, on, uh, on better call Saul. I was very happy to hear that. Okay. Let's take another question from Brendan Rydell. The half dollar design before the Kennedy half dollar was Benjamin Franklin, not Lincoln. Like Saul said. All right. So Jimmy did not have his facts straight. Yeah, shocker. A con was not entirely accurate or honest. Yes. <laughs> buzz him up. Buzz him up. Sorry, Jimmy. I'm reading, I'm, I'm reading a little bit about Smoke on the Water here, Rob. It sounds like it was uh, inspired by uh, the band in, in Deep Purple in Switzerland seeing a burning casino. Oh. Uh, and like there was smoke kind of from the some from a burning fire at a casino complex. So I don't know uh, if this is a reference to like I don't uh, some kind of vice leading to fire leading to hell i don't know if that's uh if that's what we're getting with that but uh but maybe that's uh, a more direct thing there okay antonio what does kevin cruz have to say 
Kevin Cruz says, was that Gil running by during the funeral? I, that was weird. That was a really weird extra running by there uh, in the in that moment, running by at the funeral. Did you make any connection there at all with that? No, I'd have to go back and take a look again. Yeah, me too. I, I did not see anything uh, in, that was in that particular scene that would make me think that that was linked to anything else. But uh, do you think, who is Gil? Do you think we met Gail? Gail, <laughs> been, Gail would make more sense. I'm not Gail. sure about Gil. Yeah, Gil from The Simpsons, like not to Gil, not today. Yeah, that, yeah. I don't know. That, I don't know. All right. All right. Well, McKenna says, I feel that Jimmy actually loves Kim and Kim will not be with him as Saul. So is he losing Kim? No, sorry. This is just a disappointment. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's right. I think that that's, uh, I think that that's, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know where they're going to go. We talked about how they, Jimmy and Kim could actually be one of Jimmy's other ex-wives. I mean, time could pass here and we could get a whole lot that happens between seasons or we could just kind of pick up a couple of months later in the middle of things and we could actually see more Jimmy and Kim. And I think that all has to do with how much story do they really want to tell. Breaking Bad, of course, really picked up by the end of its run rating-wise. And I think that if at all if at all possible, they probably would have wanted to extend the run. I mean, they split the final season into two seasons as it was. Uh, but Vince Gilligan was pretty sure that the story he wanted to tell was only going to be told in the time that he told it. So I don't know what their plan is with Better Call Saul. They really want to stretch things out. We might see things between Jimmy and Kim develop differently. Uh, but as it stands right now, I, I feel like we're all pretty used to their rhythms at this point. Whoa. And um, yeah, well, the, no, I'm not talking about any particular method there, um, but we could see it go in a different direction for sure. Okay. Uh, let's take a few more questions. Uh, Charlie right. Edwards, what's that? In, in letting Jimmy get a free pass at the toll booth, is Mike breaking bad? Seems his philosophy about seeing the job through is sort of falling apart. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, it it's really kind of crazy because uh, I don't know about breaking bad, but no stickers there. He didn't, he didn't protest at all. And he was such a hard ass about that all season long. So maybe the, at the very least, this is a, I know, you now. I'm not going to give you a hard time anymore. I don't need to see your stickers. You were only here such a short time. Like, I don't know about breaking bad, but is Mike letting the power go to his head, Antonio, <laughs> maybe a little bit, like maybe he's being a little, a little toll, like a, a toll booth tyrant and he's letting it happen. I don't know. Toll troll. Okay. Toll troll. You got to pay the, to the troll toll. All right. Robert Jurgensen, Antonio. Robert Jurgensen wants to know, Rob, I'm going to ask you, uh, what were the best parts of season one when we were in Breaking Bad territory? Um, I don't know. What, real quick off the top of your head, what were the best parts of season one of Better Call Saul? Well, I mean, uh, the, the, definitely, I think the Mike stuff, like uh, seeing the Mike episode 5-0 and seeing how that all played out. Uh, seeing Mike in, in, in executing kind of his first criminal contracts uh, in New Mexico, I think those were those were great. Uh, I think some of the, the the Jimmy stuff was was really funny. I mean, the his first big speech that he gives in the courtroom about hey nobody got hurt. We all remember when we were kids and we made mistakes, and, and then that prosecutor the just brings the TV over, wordlessly hits play, and we see what it is. Like there's some really good stuff there with Jimmy kind of being an attorney uh, that I think was really funny. Um, but I don't know that. So that's not in breaking bad territory uh, and the stuff with Nacho uh, and, and Tuco in the desert is more in breaking bad territory. And that was excellent. So I don't know. I feel like it's uh, I feel like it's right in the middle there, Rob. Were, were there things that, that were in this show that weren't in breaking bad territory that you really, really liked? 
Boy, um, I really like the speech tonight from Jimmy. I thought that was that was really good. I mean, there were just a couple of really great performance things. Um, I thought along the way. Uh, I'm trying to think of uh, some of the other really great things. You know, Jimmy was great the whole time. You know, Bob Odenkirk was was so good, but I'm trying to think of specific moments where he was uh, especially rose to another level. Well, I mean, him telling off Howard uh, in that, in, and I rewatched it. Yeah, that was good. Week. That was very good. Him telling Chuck that he knew it was Chuck all along, a very kind of uh, Godfather 2 kind of moment. Uh, that was very good. Uh, and Bob Odenkirk played that really well. None of that's really in Breaking Bad territory especially because it's a very emotional Jimmy McGill that we get. Um, I really did like the stuff with Gene too. I thought that was captivating yes. uh, the stuff at the very beginning of the season. Sure. And I don't know, is that breaking bad territory? That's beyond breaking bad territory. No, so. but I think that's technically breaking bad stuff. The yeah, stuff I, that was earned from breaking bad, not the stuff that was earned by better call Saul. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, so I, I think that that there were a lot of really solid sequences and moments um, montages of different clients, uh, things that Jimmy was dealing with. I uh, just a lot of really funny stuff that we got throughout the season and not to say that breaking bad wasn't funny, but of course, Saul Goodman is one of the funniest things about breaking bad. So it wouldn't be appropriate to have better call Saul and not have a lot of really funny things. Uh, so the talking toilet, uh, and the guy who was making his own money mm-hmm. and wanted to pay Jimmy to help him secede and that whole kind of montage. Uh, in the Alpine Shepherd Boy, uh, I think that was that episode, uh, was really, really funny. So I love, I just love all that. I mean, I, I think that this is, this is a show that really does a lot of different things really well. And of course, the Breaking Bad type things it does are incredible. Uh, but there are other things about the show that I, that I really, really loved. All right, let's do uh, two more questions. Uh, this is from Goat Girl. Have you considered it's the classic, you can take Jimmy out of the con game, but you can't take the con man out of Jimmy? Yeah, uh, and I think that that's, uh, that's the ring, right? That's, uh, that's Marco telling Jimmy, like, oh, you're, you're a lawyer? Like, slipping Jimmy's a lawyer? You got to be the king of the desert. You're making you bank. Driving around. You're making bank. You got to be driving around in a white caddy. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that's the white Cadillac, of course. Like, you can't take that out of Jimmy McGill. Like, that, Marco is, is in many ways more his brother than Chuck was or is. Uh, and he speaks to a part of Jimmy that is very important to Jimmy. And so you can't take that out of him. That's exactly right. And I think a lot of this season, Go Girl, was about uh, seeing him try to take that out of himself. And at the end of the day, he can't really deny who he is at his core. Um, I, I, and then so this one, Rob, uh, this next question is from Ian uh, at Fernsey on Twitter. Ian says, the significance of Jimmy having that all having the offer and then seeing the pinky ring is that we see Jimmy had a choice. He chose the path he took. I think that that's probably pretty accurate, right? Like he is driving down the road in the lane that he wants to be in uh, and picking his own path. Interesting. So I have two more questions that are kind of related here. Chris Berger asked in the chat room, uh, if the perceived loss of Michelle McLaren uh, would hurt the show. Michelle McLaren, of course, one of the the top directors, I think that that kind of uh, has worked on both Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, and she's not dead or anything. Um, she's just going to be making. She's a, a hot property. She's going to be making a lot of uh, film kind of uh, commitments that are probably going to keep her away from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. But I got to believe 
if she's available at all, they're going to find a way to make it work with her. I don't think it'll hurt the show. The show is well-directed no matter who's directing it. Um, they have a way of finding other directors. I mean, who did we talk a ton about Michelle McLaren before Breaking Bad? Uh, they find people who are really, really good uh, at what they do. So I'm not as concerned about that. And Rob, I, this one's to you from Brad S TV. And Brad would like to know, let's put it on the table, season two going forward. Do you think we're going to see any more post-Breaking Bad scenes of Saul like in the pilot? I think we will, but I think that maybe not until the final season. Okay, so definitely not like at the beginning of next season. We're not going to jump I'd off. I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised if we do go forward at the. I may and maybe that's the start of every season. We go forward. Maybe that's the thing. But I'd be surprised. I would be surprised too. Uh, and again, we still don't know. I mean, Chuck is this major kind of loose end now. Like he's got another person working for him. It's somebody who Jimmy knows. He is kind of nervous that he wants to reconnect with Jimmy, but he won't even open the door. Um, Chuck's still hanging around out yeah. there. Sandpiper's still hanging around out there. So Ernesto from the mailroom. Ernesto from the mailroom is ready to kind of, he's the guy who was ripping on Hamlin when Hamlin walked in the door. So uh, Ernesto, not Gustavo, Ernesto, like not another well-dressed man with glasses. This is, this is Ernesto. This is a different guy. So um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of loose ends there that I don't think we could just go into full on gene territory, but maybe we'll pick it up at the beginning of the season or not. Do you think, well, now that we talk about Ernesto, you don't think that Ernesto could be like the son of Gus Fring, do you? I don't think so, but I don't think it's a coincidence that he's dressed uh, in the kind of manner that Gus would dress, that he's bespectacled, he's got the short hair, uh, he's slight of build. I mean, there's definitely, his name's Ernesto. Yes, I mean, I think that there's definitely meant to be uh, a somewhat of a little connection there. Um, but I, I, I don't know exactly what that is, but, uh, it's an interesting one. Uh, I don't, I think it's one that over the course of the summer, people are going to really talk a little bit more about, uh, and speculate on. And I don't know if it was there for any other reason other than being a little bit of a, uh, an Easter egg or something for people to talk about. But, uh, that would be, that would be pretty mind blowing to be perfectly honest with you. Cause we don't know. I think, didn't Gus talk about how he had a wife and family? I, mean, I have to go back. I, I don't remember uh, what Gus talks about his family. He invites Walter over for dinner. And I think he talks about how he, you know, he makes the, this food a certain way and his family doesn't like when he does it the way he wants to do it, but he's going to do it a certain way that he wants to do it. And uh, it's a very specific food preparation that he talks about. I think in that scene, he mentions he does have a family, uh, but we know from Gustavo Fring uh, in, in breaking bad that he had a very uh, emotional connection uh, to his uh, his pollo hermano, his chicken brother, uh, and that that was that there was some kind of whether it was mentor mentee relationship or it was something deeper than that uh, between the two of them. So maybe he does have a son. Uh, that would be kind of crazy. Uh, and I don't know. This show could probably find a way to do it, but I'd I'd be skeptical. Interesting. All right, let's. Uh, I think that's that's it for season one, Antonio. I mean, I think we've wrapped it. This is this is crazy. I mean it. Doesn't seem like it was 10 weeks ago, Rob. Uh, well, it's time flies when you're having fun, Antonio. I know. Time flies when you're listening to Deep Purple, Rob. Yes. Okay. Uh, Antonio, uh, we have so much coming up. Of course, uh, you mentioned your Justified uh, season finale, series finale on the horizon. Yeah. Uh, this week will be the penultimate episode, and then next week will be the series finale. Series finale. I might actually shed a tear on that one, Rob. Oh my God. Okay. So, so that's coming up. 
Uh, of course, Josh Wiggler and I are doing our daily road to Westeros podcast. We are doing one game of Thrones quest a day, taking us all the way through to the premiere of season five of game of Thrones. But uh, Antonio, um, we haven't, we haven't uh, announced this on the road to Westeros podcast yet, but um, because of my travel schedule going to new media expo, uh, I'm going to need a, a fill in for this Sunday night for the premiere of game of Thrones. I, I'm your guy, Rob. I'm your guy. I'll do it. So Are check, out, check out Antonio. No, Dude. well, I'm that uh, I'm not asking you cause I know you're already doing it, but oh. check out Antonio uh, <laughs> on the game of Thrones season five premiere uh, this Sunday night. Very exciting. I'm excited to do it. I, uh, the, that's the show everybody's talking about. Everybody's talking about the road, the, the King's road to Westeros. Oh, everybody's oh. talking about that. That's great. I'd heard I, it's a talk of the town, Rob talk of the town, talk of the town. All so right. I'm excited. I'm excited to be involved with that. You guys, uh, you guys are having a lot of fun on those road, to Westeros podcasts, and I'm, I'm, we try. I'm looking forward to jumping in. We try. All right. Uh, Antonio, do you have a season one finale hashtag? Whew, do you have any suggestions? I, uh, I don't know. Chicago sunroof is not one I want to try. <laughs> yes. Um, Let's see. Is there anything with our with our uh, do we want to like plant a flag on the Ernesto is Gustavo Fring's son? Ernesto er, Fring. Ernesto Fring. Let's plant our flag there. All right. We'll do it. And Hashtag then we'll look. So maybe Fring. we'll look really smart or really dumb one day. Well, I think that most days I look both of those things. Yes. OK, well, we'll, t- we'll take it. We can get Antonio. Uh, thank you so much. Great job here in season one of Better Call Saul. Rob, thank you so much. I had a great time. Yes, uh, your legal expertise proved most valuable, and uh, it was a pleasure to talk with you these Monday nights. And the pleasure was all mine, and I, I definitely want to thank everybody for participating, tweeting at us, uh, sharing hashtags, being in the chat room. Just had a great time. Wouldn't have been the same without everybody listening and, and uh, playing along and watching along with us. Okay. All right. And uh, looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say in the comments. Uh, that's going to do it for Better Call Saul season one we will see you next spring for better call Saul season two take care everybody have a great night